the essence of the kind of core, the heart of Buddhism, its very essence is is uh, to awaken individuals to out of just habitual conditioned behavior to awaken to reality. And so like in uh, the word Buddha itself, it's, it's not a name of a person really, it's a, it means awakened like a human being who is awakened to reality. And then you may wonder what I mean by reality. <clears throat> because most of us think, you know, the, the world we live in, our own thoughts and experiences are the real world, is reality. And, but it's not. It's the, we live in, in a world we create out of our fears and desires. And so then this, the Buddhist teaching is to awaken out of that realm of fear and desire to Dhamma, like the, the Pali word Dhamma, is like reality, the truth, the absolute truth, the way things really are. And, and so then the practice of meditation is, uh, is ways of be, you know, developing that and learning to recognize within your own mind reality. Uh, not in terms of cultural assumptions or personal preferences or even religion, but it's, it's, a, it's an awakeness to what is natural, what is true. Uh, and, and of course you can't describe it. It's not, the descriptions, definitions are limited to uh, our thinking process. And so we, we live in a world that we create with our own perception conditioned perceptions and then the, the mindfulness practice is the, the developing awareness of that you know getting not just getting caught in in the momentum of our thinking and views and opinions but being able to observe them from a position of of awareness and understanding not in terms of worldly values, but in terms of uh, the reality of, of existence. So we're now living in a world, you know, we have to live within the limitation of our physical form, our body. And, and the body is a, a sensitive form. So we're born, you know, from <clears throat> our mothers and we you know, we're born, we're conscious form, human form, and um, and it's a sensitive form, you know, so your physical body itself, then we have seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. We, we have a retentive memory, so we remember, have to remember all kinds of things uh, from the past. Uh, and so we, you know, we, we, we become complicated because uh, we we identify t totally with our physical form, with the body. And then when you, when a baby's born, then it it doesn't you know it's conscious. It has consciousness, which 
is natural, and then a body, a natural body, and then, and then it feels, it has pleasure, pain, neutral sensations. It knows when it's hungry and pain and, and sleepy and so forth. So there's this kind of instinctual intelligence operating from the beginning. And it's not, it's just natural intelligence, not, not created by culture or personal identities. But then after that, then the, the mother, father, the society starts informing us, you know, you get reward and punishment, you know, you're a good boy, you're a bad boy, that kind of thing. <clears throat> you obey mom and she praises you and you disobey and you get punished and so forth. So this is, uh, you know, we're conditioned to try to to survive within the family and the so social milieu that we're a part of. And, and so, but we form an identity of a separate self, you know, an ego. And, uh, and cultural identity, social identity, identity with your body, male or female, the uh, identity with whether you're consider yourself, uh, whether your parents love you or don't, or you're, you know, you form a sense of your self-worth in the early, you know, kind of fi gets fixed in the adolescent years. And all this is conditioned, <clears throat> you know, through, in, in Buddhist terms, through ignorance of, of reality, just, this just happens to us. Like an innocent child it just absorbs, it's like a sponge, it just takes on what's ever around, it doesn't, you know, discriminate really, it just has to survive because it's helpless, dependent, you know, on the mother at first, totally dependent and so forth, so it has to, you know, it picks up the, the feelings, the, the prejudices, the biases, the social identities and all that from just through absorption. <clears throat> and then we form our identity as a individual person, personality, uh, a convention. You know, we identify with our ethnic background, our class, race, gender, uh, and with the culture, with the religion. All these affect us and how we, we interpret experience and life. And then the, the Buddha's practice is to awaken to that. It's not a critical function. It's not like trying to get rid of it. It's just putting it in a, in a context where we're no longer just helpless victims of our conditioning or our habits. Otherwise, you know, on a, otherwise we tend to, you know, be stuck if we're, you know, with a lot of fears and opinions and views. <clears throat> that uh, we acquire from others and uh, social attitudes and so and that, that that we have no perspective on. We operate, we interpret our experience, interpret our self-worth through these distortions. So the, that's why we, ha we suffer, you know, this sense of suffering uh, because we're living in a world of that's not real, but which 
we don't know anything outside it. So the Buddha addressed this issue very, very directly with his first sermon in the Four Noble Truths teaching. So when he was enlightened 2,556 years ago or so, he, uh, you know, he, he saw, he awakened to reality. He saw Dhamma. So you've got these words Buddha, Dhamma, and it's Buddha that knows Dhamma. And, and, it, and it's, these are Pali uh, words, but they're quite significant because uh, it's not me knowing Dhamma. You know, Ajahn Samedo knows the Dhamma. It's, it, it's like you're, when you develop mindfulness practice, then your refuge is in knowing in this Bhutto, in this awareness, so it's non-personal. And Dhamma isn't about, you know, a person, it's about reality. So in, within this limitation of a human form, we can awaken to ultimate reality. Uh, even we have all these other, you know, we're living in a realm that's continuously pressing on us. You know, just look at your own life, how it's endless, you know, you're endlessly being irritated through uh, the conditions around you. Uh, you know, day or night, uh, heat or cold, uh, the weather by, uh, you know, the alignment of the stars, the sun and the moon, and and then the uh, society you're in, and your own personal uh, habits, and what we see, you know, hear, smell, taste, touch, think and feel. This is, a, this is an experience of total sensitivity. You know, so every human being is, is in this state of total sensitivity from birth to death. In fact, all of the animals are, but but um, we're uh, we're aware of this. You know, we we think about it. We 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 have a retentive memory where we can create a totally false, totally deluded scenario of life and and what you know self worth and and so forth. So we have endless wars, conflicts, disagreements. Uh, you know, with each other or different national identities and religious identities so we fight with each other about these or class identities you know so when you look at read the news you know it's all about this ignorance of one group you know saying we're right you're wrong you're the you're the enemy and so forth it's all just you know ever since i was born. It's been, it's been going on, <laughs> and no doubt before. But the uh, and this is because of this ignorance. It's not knowing Dhamma, not awakening to reality. And so now you, we have a population of what nine billion or so people on the planet, and. Uh, and when I was born, there were about two billion or something. So I mean, just in 80 years, it's... <laughs> so I mean, you know, you have, 
you know, how do how do we relate to you know this this world is pressuring is like a pressure cooker now, and everything's you know fast moving fast with the technology and and in one some ways it's better in some ways it's getting worse, but this is the way conditioned phenomena operates. You know, as long as we're identified on this level of of a human form, a human personality, social, cultural identities, political identities, view, personal views and opinions, then you know our our life is going to be one of conflict because nobody can have the same views. You know, you can't get nine million people to think in the same way or believe in the same God or whatever. It's just or have the same political. You know. You know, we we all prescribe. You know, now democracy is the the word. You know, everybody wants democracy, but what do we mean by that? Nobody quite knows anymore. It's kind of a generic term that includes. You know, how do you define it? And uh, but it's it's you know an ideal we have of you know a fair government. But you know the samsara isn't about fairness. It's about change. It's not about equality and peace. It's about conflict and change and and suffering, pain and and uh, so we have the natural force like the the cyclone in the Philippines recently, just last week, this uh, devastating cyclone. You know, Mother Nature, or is it God's retribution? Maybe he's punishing the Filipinos. <laughs> you can interpret any way you want, or uh, you know, depending on your your proclivity and the way you're conditioned to think. <clears throat> and so, like like awakening to reality is is learning to uh, develop a trust in your ability to just observe. And so, this is like mindfulness. Is the English word mindfulness? Is it's, it means our ability to be in the to wake into the present moment. Usually, we're mindful about things like crossing a busy street. You know, you, you know, you told you have to look right and left and see what's coming. You have to bring into your attention out of self-preservation, just physical survival. You know, so you're not walking into the middle of an ongoing lorry or something that. But, and so we're mindful when we, we're supposed to be mindful when we're driving a car. And it's, you're not supposed to be drunk. <laughs> or you're not supposed to be talking on your cell phone while you're driving. Especially, you know, the government now makes these rules wanting you to concentrate on, you know, the traffic in front and the signs and, and that to be mindful because you're driving a, a a dangerous vehicle, you know, you could kill people with it. And so driving is, you know, it's, it's about survival. You've got to, you know, be on the alert just for survival. When, when you're, if you're a rock climber, you know, you talk to rock climbers about that, they, they're totally mindful. I asked one once, I said, why, why do you do that? You know, it's so dangerous. You know, you're climbing these sheer cliffs, and uh, you've got to, you know, just one misstep, one 
false move. You could just fall, drop, and die. And they said, well, you know, when you're climbing a, a rock face, you're not worrying anymore. You're just totally with, uh, with the situation. <laughs> you, have to, you can't worry about paying the electric bill or your relationship with your wife. You've got to be with just the, the reality of your body on the rock face. And that's, that, that is, you know, because of the imminent threat of death. You know, it's, it's very, you know, it's right there in your face. So you don't, you, you forget everything else and just concentrate on, on what you're doing, where your hands are, your feet. But in uh, <clears throat> daily life, you know, we like security and we have, have uh, locks on the doors and <clears throat> we have central heating and air conditioning and we can go into our flat and, you know, from having a, from rock, from climbing a rock face, get back to your flat, lock the door, <clears throat> and you got this sense of safety. And so you can sit there and, you know, think about climbing the rock face and, and suddenly start shaking with fear. <laughs> because just the memory, you know, what you really put yourself into. Uh, it can be very frightening when you think about it. So this is, our human minds are like this, when, when danger is that we have an instinctual self-preservation mechanism. Uh, uh, probably you've experienced it when you, you know, when, you're, when your life, physical existence has been threatened. Something in you opens immediately to the situation and you, you react in a way that you can't believe, you know, you could do it because how you see yourself when you're in your cozy flat, safe from everything, is, is not the same person that's having to face, a, a, you know, a, something very dangerous in the, in the immediate present. So one time here, in this very monastery, I was I was uh, living in a kuti, and it had a, a bathroom underneath, and then a, the room was above that with a porch. And so I was going down, I went into the, the bathroom, and uh, there were just little cement cubicles. I closed the door, put the latch on, and I turned around, and there was a cobra there in the same, you know, a very small place. And it was coming at me like this. And, uh, and my response was, surprised me when I started thinking about it, you know, suddenly I saw, and, I, and immediately I just leaped over this, this angry cobra and, and opened the door and got out. And, and then the, the cobra left, and when I started thinking about it, I started shaking with fear because, you know, here I was trapped, and and yet, and, and I wouldn't have been able to think that out. But I must leap over this cobra. It was spontaneous. 
And so maybe many of you have had these kind of experiences where, where you're actually physically endangered and you respond in a way that can be quite amazing, you know, that you, you don't, you had not planned, but it was a spontaneous response to danger. We have that, but it, so much of life now is safe, you know, has this illusion of safe security, uh, and we can become neurotic in a safe, in that security. We, we can sit in our cozy flats and, and stir up anger and hatred and resentment and feeling sorry for ourselves and, and uh, get really, you know, neurotic, create endless scenarios of, of problems in our mind because of the safety. You can't do that climbing a rock face. You've got to just be with the moment. But it, like this is the, like <clears throat> the mindfulness practice then is, is it, we're not trying to seek dangerous situations, you know, to, just to, you know, to, to be mindful, but as a place like this, you know, it's fairly, people are trustworthy and we all have a standard of morality and we, we you know, we, we make agreements on how to live with each other so we're not, you know, we, we, we're not kind of uh, in a situation that, that we have to compete with each other or defend ourselves. Uh, so there's a certain amount of safety, a moral standard, encouragement of practice, some <coughs> mindfulness. And then <coughs> to develop this mindfulness in ordinary situations, you know. So you're, you're not going to wait till you, a cobra is chasing you, but here and now, when everything is, you know, nothing much. There's no present danger, no immediate need to be mindful. But this, the vipassana practices of the Buddha are about awakening and being mindful here and now. And so that is, uh, you know, that's what we do to, to cultivate this mindfulness in our daily lives. Don't worry about it when, when your life's in danger, but where we are most in danger is in the, the seeming security and safety of daily life, where we can really, you know, that's where people commit suicide or you know, do terrible things in a, you know, in a society that, where there's guaranteed safety laws and policemen and CCTV cameras and, and uh, guard dogs and locks, <laughs> rules and whatnot to have this sense of security. So, you know, over the years, this is mainly what I've done. I've been a monk now uh, 48 years. So it's, it's like uh, developing this. First you have a kind of, you have the insight, kind of flashes of awareness. And, and that kind of awaits you. You know there's something beyond just the, the, just the momentum of your own mind and your own habits as you begin to to be more aware of them. And this awareness is now, you know, 
it, 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 as you begin to recognize it and trust it, then it, it, it integrates into the flow of your life, whatever that might be, you know, whether you're a monk or a nun or lay person or living in Thailand or in another country. It's not about, it is not dependent upon a situation, but it integrates into whatever you have to do with your life, you know, <clears throat> the people you live with and the position you're in. And now, like in, I've lived in uh, in England f for 34 years, teaching like this. And uh, I went uh, to London in 1977 because there was an interest there, and uh, there was a lot of. I was invited to go. And and the, this awareness now practices is you know you hear it all the time you talk you know psychotherapy and everything is now beginning to recognize the value of these practices where in, in, you know 1977 in London the psychologists psychotherapists uh, I never heard them talk about mindfulness awareness and uh, it was a word that just wasn't in the in the consciousness. And meditation, and <clears throat> you know, you told people you were practicing, but they think you were doing something really strange. What's that? You know, and it's uh, like uh, some kind of strange Asian practice. <laughs> now everybody does it. Uh, you know, it's it's common. You know, it's uh, even on the national health system in UK. Um, you know meditation practice because it, it is uh, you know it, it works it's it, it is a way to resolve your own kind of problems and, and, and it's, of course it's not invasive you're not you don't have to swallow medicine or inject things into your body you're just learning to, to pay attention and your attention isn't just looking out and, like if we pay attention, you know, we tend to look outward and then we, we, our critical mind starts operating, you know, I don't like this, we become aware of what's wrong and the things that aren't, don't suit us, you know, say, externally. And we're, you know, educated people are like this, we develop our critical faculty to a high degree. We read a lot, we have a lot of information, we know what's right and wrong and true and false and good and bad and that. So, you know, we our our educational system, our culture, uh, uh, you know, fulfills its role of developing our critical faculties, our thinking mind. The thinking mind is for discriminating. This is big, small, good, bad, and so forth. So, it has its, you know, it has its use. But as a, as if we operate only from the critical mind, then we end up with doubt and and uh, resentments, and and we don't we don't get behind, we don't get beyond the critical uh, conditioning, and so then the intuitive awareness, like I use the word intuition, because uh, 
mean an English word, but it really is like being mindful in the moment. It, you, when you're intuitive, it's in the present moment. You know, you know, it's not about the past or the future; it's about the present. And it's you, you kind of pick up in a in a general way. You know, you're aware, uh, say, of the atmosphere or the the feeling of the moment. You know. Uh, both internally and externally, you know, you, 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 we have this ability to feel life rather than just project our own views, opinions on everything and, and ignore it. And so then the, you know, what impinges on us affects our minds. So even, a, you know, a, a hostile atmosphere where maybe nobody's showing any any kind of outward hostility, but inwardly they hate you, you can feel it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, this is an intuitive intelligence operating. So it's a discerning ability. It's uh, to discern, it's not a critical, it's not saying you shouldn't hate me, uh, it's not about how you should be or uh, but it's 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 discerning. It's like this, so it, it, it's not descriptive. It's just noticing, uh, and in the present, you because of the sensitivity of your your position and and uh, things around you, it's like this, and so it's uh, it's it's undefinable but recognizable, realizable. And this is how you, you begin to train yourself with this awareness because, you know, it's not from, because the external things also affect you, your emotional nature and, and, and then you're, you feel this kind of anxiety maybe or threat. But if you're just thinking all the time and you're very idealistic, caught up in the realm of of your own views, opinions, and self-importance, then you don't recognize what you're feeling. You just you can ignore it and just get go on a tirade about you know we've got to get rid of this dictator and build a democracy and <laughs> plan a revolution and and uh, you know plans for the future. So, but that, that's why we can think of, we can create ideals of perfection with our thinking mind. Because we can think, we can think high or low. We can think the ultimate, best, you know. Where everybody's, where everybody loves each other. We're all filled with metta and compassion, loving kindness and compassion. That's an, that's an ideal, you know, a beautiful ideal. And it should be like that. But this is the way it is right now, you see. So you're not, you know, if you're not, and, and so the way it is right now is like this. And, and that maybe it's not like that. Maybe at this moment uh, nobody's loving each other. They're all caught up in anger, resentment, hatred, and views and opinions. But, and so it's, then if, if one is attached to these high-minded ideals, 
then you always feel anxiety and threat because, you know, we all should love each other, but this is not the way it is. But it should be like like the ideal, but and it shouldn't be this way. Now, the, the intuitive awareness then is the ability to observe that, you know, how we react, uh, our habitual reactions to situations. And, and through that awareness, you begin to put your, you know, your ability to create ideal situations, your views, opinions, your emotional reactions to the experience of the moment, the anxiety, the fear, restlessness, infatuations, whatever is like this, you see, and this is where wisdom operates, and this, this is a, like a, a higher intelligence or universal intelligence. It's not conditioned by culture, it's not cultural, it's not religious even. It's uh, universal. So we all share this, we all have this ability, but we're limited always by our own the limitations we, we impose on our consciousness all the time. So the, over the years, like the training uh, uh, with Lungpa Cha, and, and over these years of you know, developing this practice, you know, you you can actually, you know, prove this to yourself. It's not a matter of just accepting the Lumpa Cha's word or my word or the Buddha's word in the scriptures, but it's to be, you know, recognized in your in your you know, for yourself. So it's not just second hand or acquired knowledge, it's 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 uh, insight knowledge. It's like the taste of honey, you know. You can describe, you can, if you've never tasted honey, and I say it's really delicious, you know what delicious means. And it's very sweet, you know, like sugar, you know what sweet sugar is. You say, what's the chemical formula? I could look up on the internet chemical formula for honey and give me that. <laughs> and, but only till you taste it do you really know the, the flavor. <laughs> And then you know for yourself, you know, you're not depending on me to tell you, you know, how wonderful it is. It's as simple as that. It's tasting, knowing directly. Now, do you have any questions? <laughs> how do we know between reality because, like with mindfulness, your views are always formed with thoughts. You know, you have to think to have a viewpoint. But the intuitive awareness is is awareness of thinking. You know, this is why. You know, usually we 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 experience rea what we think is real. We have to have a name. You know, this this is real. Because we call this a spittoon, and, it, and it's solid, you can see it. And, and we all agree, you know. The Thais don't call this a spittoon, they call it a katon. Katoon? Katon. And then, but we all know that you spit into it. And 
So that's that's the real world for many people. You know, you have you have a definite form that everybody agrees that this is what it's for. And and you know, like in the West, we never, you know, we didn't really uh, use them. And then one, this was years ago in in England. Uh, some wealthy Thai woman gave me a spittoon, a big one like this, had a brass rim, it was blue painted, you know, designs on white, quite beautiful. And so I thought, well, this is too beautiful to spit into. So what I did was I filled it with sand, put it on the shrine to put joysticks in. <laughs> and, and all of us, you know, international there weren't Thai monks there at the time, just, uh, you know, from different European countries, so they, you know, nobody had any objection to it. And then one, one evening, a high, very high-ranking Thai monk came, uh, a very famous one, he came into Chithurst, and we took him to the shrine room, and he saw the, the spittoon on the shrine, and he said, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> That's for spinning into, and, <laughs> and then like that's that you know you, now I couldn't do that because I don't see this is what you spin into. But before I could see it like a vase or a dish or whatever you know, and defined it as only the, for spinning. And this is the, what we do with life. We we get very fixed in in the you know with the with the conditions we have and. This is this is the what it's for, and you can't use it for anything else. Um, and so the mind, you know, you, you before I started meditating, I was, I was really I realized something was wrong uh, with you know I had I had felt suffocated with my own uh, thinking process, and. Uh, you know, just felt, you know, that it's too, it's, it's like wearing straitjacket. It was always pressing in. It's too narrow. Is there something outside of that that you can, you know, get out of this trap of just being stuck in, in your own thoughts and opinions and views, fears and desires? And this is, this is one reason why I had already had an interest in Buddhism, but I never practiced it never developed it. I'd read about it. And mainly in the the Zen Buddhist type of Buddhism, which was the popular form at that time in the, in the States. And uh, that I found, you know, hopeful with that because Zen Buddhism has, you know, it has this kind of opening the mind up in a different way that, that the American uh, system doesn't, you know, it's a completely different kind of take on reality, and it fascinated me, but I didn't know how to do it. And that's one reason why I, I came to Thailand, to find uh, somebody to teach me how to, how to do that. <laughs> Given the uh, 48 years of, uh, of your, your presence in, in the Buddhist world, and you've seen it uh, grow, especially, and I'm referring specifically 
to the Western Sangha and the, the Western practice of Buddhism. And you've seen it and you've, you've played a key role in, in this uh, growth, uh, almost tremendous growth of, of the past year specifically. Where do you see it going in the next, say, 50 years? Well, it, it's really... You know, it's it's developed beyond, even in my lifetime, beyond what I ever expected. And, uh, the, you know, I've been invited all over the world, and it was, you know, every... There's an interest in, in Buddhist meditation in, in, in almost every country. And, um, you know, this is a good sign. And now with... with uh, in, like now you've got, everything's on the internet and, and you easily get, you know, information about Buddhism and different schools of Buddhism and teachers and whatnot. So this wasn't possible back when I, you know, I, start, I became interested around 1955. I was in the American Navy and in Japan and in Zen Buddhism. And then there wasn't much available in English. You know, the Alan Watts, The Way of Zen. And uh, they were republishing T.T. Suzuki's. You know, he, he was a Japanese master, but he wrote in English. And, and they'd been out of print for... I never heard of them before. I think they, they'd been published in the 30s, 1930s. And, in the, and of course they weren't generally known by anybody and they started publishing those in paperbacks in America so I got, uh, you know, I went uh, in San Francisco I went to a bookshop and found this book on Zen Buddhism by Ichi Suzuki and something in me just, I was about 21 years old then so it was, you know, like an awakening for me I used to go out in Golden Gate Park by myself, you know, just read D.T. Suzuki and get high on it. I didn't need marijuana or anything. <laughs> D.T. Suzuki did it. <laughs> and uh, because something in me responds to this, this style, you know, I don't know why, because I brought up as a Christian, I'm not, you know, in my cultural social background don't, don't explain it in any way. What it is, I don't know, but it, I certainly relate to Buddhism in a way, and I don't relate to anything else. And, and I've followed that over the years. And that, but I thought, you know, you think of yourself as, a, you know, you're, you're kind of an odd character anyway, and you know, you, you always, you know, I used to think of myself as just not really fitting well into this, society I was born into, a misfit, and uh, even though I could get by, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it was generally good experience with life, but it was a feeling, and, and I couldn't relate to Christianity. I just, you know, it didn't, didn't reach me, I couldn't believe it. Where with Buddhism, it, because they don't ask you to believe in anything, then then I could trust that. 
and because I'm a have a skeptical mind. It's a you know doubty mind. And of course, Zen Buddhism addresses that all. There are always these koans that don't make any sense. Throw your your mind into what is it? Sound of one hand clapping. Your mind goes blank. You know, <laughs> impossible conundrums. You know, they throw at you. It's the because that really it's a way of of getting to look at your consciousness. You know, not knowing. You know, we. When you're brought up in a, in a society where you're supposed to know a lot, and you're praised for knowing all kinds of facts and figures and details and all that, not knowing is is just not acceptable. You know, it's just you, you've got to you should know, have a have something defined, have it categorized, labeled. But not knowing is is like you're stupid, or you know, it's some, you should know. And so, you, when, you, when you, when I would be thrown into the state of doubt or not knowing, then I, you know, I always wanted an answer, a solution to a problem, answer to a question. <laughs> but then, in the in the mindfulness practice, you're aware of that. And then, Ajahn Chah's great teaching is not don't know. You know, so he's, he's, you know, he's uh, in Thai, my na. My na in Thai means don't know. And so uh, this, this doesn't sound like anything worth knowing. <laughs> but what it is, is my na and not, don't know is, you know, it's like you, if you're willing to not know something and accept that, you're you're aware of pure conscious the reality of pure consciousness you know it's 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 a discerning it's here and now it's realizable but you can't know it as an object like this you can know as an object but consciousness because we're all experiencing it right now it's all the same but we don't know Consciousness. We operate from reacting to the the stimulation of our that, that goes through the consciousness. So in the and that's what we we live in this 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 realm of irritation, agitation, change, and and uh, time elements and fears and desires all come into that. But beyond all these moving things is pure consciousness. And uh, and it's the same for all. It's not a personal consciousness. Not you know. Not I have it, and you don't, or something. We're all. It's exactly the same for all of us. And so when we recognize that, then we have perspective on the, what we have to deal with uh, our own karmic habits or contingencies or things that happen to us in life. We have perspective, we're not just helpless, helplessly trapped in maybe unwholesome reactions and fears and, and things that we tend to be if we don't know this. Like fear is 
you know, this is a fear realm we're living in. It's all about death and uh, survival. So you, you know, we have we have these very vulnerable bodies to live in. You know, and and they're very sensitive and vulnerable. And uh, you know, there anything could happen to them. And so there's a natural anxiety and fear about survival. You know, it just is a physical entity. We, you know, our skin is not very tough, not like rhinoceros. Uh, you know, we can't compete with with gazelles in running. Uh, to tackle an elephant, we know we lose. <laughs> or a raging lion. <laughs> and so, I mean, the, you know, we're kind of a species that, you know, we don't have much hair. Uh, you know, we don't have really good claws. And, and how do we survive? You know, we have this intelligence, you know, where we can create weapons and for protection and bows and arrows and axes and nuclear bombs and whatnot. So I mean, it, this, is, this is how to use this intelligence just for survival or protection uh, for me or for our country or whatever. But we know that how dangerous it is now with nuclear power. No, no longer bows and arrows and swords. It's you know mass destruction is is potential now worldwide. So this creates anxiety. This realm is like this. You know this this is a, a realm of fear. And you just watch the animals in the jungles here. You know, they, they operate on survival. It's all about survival. But we can, you know, the human society, we can make moral agreements and laws about behavior. So we all agree, you know, that murdering somebody else is, is wrong. And yet we can all have moments where we want to murder somebody. So it's, <laughs> it's not that that, we're, uh, you know, we never experienced that, that impulse, but we uh, have a moral, moral agreement not to do it, and uh, and then we're punished by the society if we we do. And, and so this is this is one of the, you know, the good things of our human human state. We can, we still have these animal instincts and and. Uh, reactions to things, but we can agree on behavior. You know, not to murder each other or lie to each other. In monasticism, you have this vinaya, we very, you know, detailed precepts about behavior and speech. And that's why it works, because we, you know, this is a, Wat Pananachat International Forest Monastery. So you've got every nationality around. And, uh, but we all, you know, if you become a bhikkhu, then you agree to live under the, the structure of Vinaya. And it makes our life, we, we live with each other. And it doesn't mean we like each other, love each other, agree with each other, 
but it, we, we don't, uh, you know, we respect, we have forms of respect and ways of dealing, you know, in which we, we, we do, we agree on the behavioral level. What, what we feel, personally, can, is going to be different with every, every individual. And this, this makes our life easy because we, we can live with each other like this um, because of, of these agreements. Now to me this is, uh, this is what the greatness of being human because we can, uh, because you know I've seen it myself all the you know desires of, of you know jealousies and fears and anger and rage and <coughs> and uh, liking and disliking and resenting and so forth because you're you're mindful of what's going on in inside you but on the behavior level we 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 try to live within that structure and now you know like worldwide the infinite problems of peace agreements and resolving conflicts there's there's not a moral structure involved in it it was power and uh, like not killing you know nobody it's all right to kill if it's your enemy <laughs> and you know president obama can send a drone over and kill somebody in pakistan that's he's not it's just a you know, part of his duty to wipe out the enemy, even though it's in another country. But if you, you know, our, the first precept is the Banadimat, not to intentionally kill another human. And, and that is an important moral agreement, but it's, you know, if if all the world decided to keep that one precept, the war would would stop. <laughs> You're not supposed to go around killing the enemies anymore. And and that, that, this is where you know we lack that wisdom now. We don't we don't have that understanding. We just think the end justifies the means. You know, so you invade Iraq, kill millions of Iraqis. I mean, it's, you know, collateral damage. We're sorry about it, but it's necessary. <laughs> sorry about that. You know, it's dismissed as, uh, you know, t well, you know, we're very sorry, you know, but we got rid of Saddam Hussein. <laughs> So it's, you know, nobody feels a sense of moral uh, integrity about it. And this is, you know, if we're going to nine, mil, nine billion people can live with each other, we, it's very important to bring into the mind. You can't force it on them. You can't, you know, it's something you have to, to take on. You know, like moral precepts, there's something you have to Recognize, you know, if I say you should keep the five precepts and force them on you, it won't work. Then you just feel tyranny from me. You know, you just 
that monk's just browbeating me into doing this and, and you just feel my tyranny you don't recognize maybe the profanity of the precepts you've taken so that's why in uh, here in Thailand you, to take the five precepts you, you have to ask for them you know we can't say you have to take them uh, you have to come to a monk and, and say please may I have the five precepts and you have to say it three times before the monk can do it so that makes it, you know, something that you rise up to. You're not just being told what to do by a priest, but you're actually taking on that in your own request. And that, that's that's a mature way, you know, because you, you know, if I just tell you, you you go to hell if you don't keep the five precepts. You'll never grow up, even if you believe me and keep the five precepts. You know, you. You need always to be told what to do, where rather than being told, you're, you know, you're encouraged to, to contemplate the value of this. And, and then ask for it and then try to live within that structure. Of, it's just about, be, about decent behavior towards yourself and others. So what is it like being human being? And you know, we're strange animals, really. We've got the animal body, you know, not that much different from a chimpanzee. And then we, and then we, we've got this reflective mind. We have to remember everything. So you know, we we have to remember all kinds of things we wish we could forget because of this retentive memory. So one one time I was I was walking in the north of England in the Pennine in no in the in Yorkshire Dales I was on this kind of camping trip and uh, I was with another monk and a layman and we came in the springtime in the Yorkshire Dales is really beautiful you know. You know kind of wildflowers and beautiful feeling of of uh, spring and and then the, the, these hills and I heard this terrible kind of wailing in the distance <clears throat> I didn't know what it was so I asked the layman who who knows the area what is, I hear this this kind of wailing sound what is it and he said Oh, that's probably, you know, on the other side of the hill, the shepherd just took away the newborn lambs from their mothers. And the mothers are grieving the loss of their lambs. And this was, you know, I could hear this. This was just like a human woman crying. You know, if you took a, a baby away from its mother and, and, uh, this, this is grief. So actually, sheep, ewes, experience grief at loss, and we have that same we have that same experience. Grief at the loss of the loved is common to us and sheep. But sheep don't remember that much longer. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
they get over it quickly. But a human woman, it could ruin her life. It could, you know, destroy her life. And she'd be caught in resentment, anger, because of her memory, retentive memory. So that is, this is the, the curse of having a retentive memory. But the, the good thing is that it gives us this reflective ability. You know, to, to reflect on experience, to have language, to describe and define things. But the, the wisdom level is not about the value of things, but of discerning the difference between like uh, the purity of consciousness and the conditions that arise in it. So you know, like they, they say all conditions are impermanent. All conditioned phenomena is impermanent. Sapesangaranicha. And so it, it's a, a statement of to be reflected on. And then that which is aware of conditions, it's not, awareness isn't picking and choosing the conditions, where the, the, what the feeling now, the experience now through the senses and that is, and we reflect on the changingness of it rather than on what we think of it and our opinion about it, whether we want it or don't want it, it's just like this. So your, your mind is open in this wide spectrum of awareness and discerns this change both internally, you know, in subtle ways or coarse ways. And uh, this is intuitive intelligence. And this is where, when, in Buddhist terms, where wisdom operates, where we understand in a profound way, rather than just think we understand because we, we know the theories that we've acquired from others. And then the you know, in 1956, 1955, when I became interested in Buddhism, there wasn't, there was this kind of, in San Francisco, this kind of beat Zen thing going on, which was a beginning, really, beginning where, you know, these kind of rebellious people, young people were, rebelling against the the status quo of the kind of white middle-class Protestant mentality. It was so kind of fixed and, and, and rigid. So, I mean, they were like thumbing their nose, making fun of and condemning, <laughs> doing everything you shouldn't be doing if you're a good Christian Protestant white middle-class girl or boy. <laughs> did everything the opposite, which was, was kind of fun, you know, to rebel against the establishment. But, but also there was this growing interest in Zen Buddhism because it seemed like a, a kind of rebellion or way of, different way of thinking. And then many of us started with that. And then, and then of course, the beatnik thing didn't last very long. But it, it, was, it was a sign of a change. Because ever since 1955, there's uh, this, this been this growing interest in countries that are not Buddhist at all, like the, like Britain or 
United States, all over. You know, now it's it's uh, it's everywhere, and that's a good thing. <clears throat> How it moves into the society, I don't know, but I do know, like in 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 England, for example, the the psychotherapy uh, psychotherapists are talking a lot about mindfulness now, which they didn't, you know, before. And uh, there's mindfulness practices, and this is, is quiet in the States, and this is, these are quite, you know, they're recognizing this in a kind of worldly way, the value of resolving your, a lot of your emotional habits through awareness. I think that's good, you know, it's a, it's a good direction to encourage. Because, you know, the, who knows what's going to happen, you know, in the future. is an unknown. And, but it, that's why I encourage you to, to trust yourself to know now. You know, not don't worry about the future, but to develop this awareness practice now so that whatever the changes might be you you'll be able to re, to adapt and survive within those within the changing conditions that you have no control over if you if you have this kind of wisdom available And even in in uh, different religions, it you know that like Christian mysticism, you read, you know what is Saint John of the Cross, or that, and they you know they refer to it, but it's not so clearly stated. It's more or less by default. Where in the Buddhist Buddhist practice, it's it's the main teaching. Like in uh, why did he take? suffering and 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 place it in the in the top the noble truth first noble truth and you go to interfaith meetings in london and uh, other religions and they they all I say well, buddhism doesn't believe in god you don't have a god why do you always talk about suffering you know we talk about love and god and and those, you know, and you're talking about suffering. So it makes you think, you know, why? <laughs> love and God are kind of inspiring, you know, especially for most people, love. He's talking about love and people get very inspired by that. But, and God, some people really, you know, find that inspiring. Other people just get angry about it. But <clears throat> these are, you know, words that, uh, that then to inspire the mind, inspiration is you know gives you, you know has its purpose, but it has no self-sustaining ability. You can't, you know, you can't, you, you know, it, it comes and then it goes, and then you have to get find something to inspire you again. So the Buddha used suffering, which is not inspiring. <laughs> But which is, we all suffer, you know, it's easily seen. You know, you know, every one of us, you know, whether you're rich or poor, whatever, has the same 
thing. It's banal. It's ordinary. It's what none of us want. None of us want it. We want to get rid of it. But then you're changing from running away, seeking happiness, ignoring suffering, to understanding it. That's a significant shift, you know, as, a, as an individual human. You're just changing from just trying to find happiness and to looking at suffering, not indulging in it or but you're, you're, it's a noble truth, so not just something you have to grit your teeth and endure because it's nasty fact of life. It's not asking you to do that, grin and bear it. It's a, look at it. You're changing from one reacting to it to observing it. And that's, that's a very significant change in, in, in uh, you know, a shift, like a quantum leap from being just an ordinary person seeking happiness to being an individual developing wisdom. And then, the, then as you follow that, the Four Noble Truths and the formula that I have, you, you begin to recognize non-suffering, like the pure consciousness is not, there's no suffering there. It's not, it's not a suffering reality. The suffering comes and goes in it. And if all we know is what comes and goes, then that's why we, we're worried, anxious, neurotic, frightened, resentful, and that because we're caught in, a, in just the momentum of change all the time, where with mindfulness and like uh, intuitive awareness, you're you're, you're, you're transcending the condition, you're looking at it, you're not dismissing it or annihilating it, your relationship to it changes from becoming that condition to observing. It's this knowing, it's like this. So just to encourage you, Uh, you know, to, and also, it takes, like the big problem I found teaching in, in the West was, um, people, you know, well-educated, intelligent people are, tend to be very self-critical too. Like in, in England, there's people tend to, to emphasize the weaknesses, the faults they have as their reality. And so they don't learn that they don't have they tend to see themselves in, in negative perceptions. I'm not good enough, I can't do it, I uh, you know, I've got, I've got to I'm I'm a emotional mess, I've got to get rid of this. I'm you know, and so they they in a way they they kind of see their suffering, but they're identified with it. <clears throat> and, it and, and that identity, you know, you wanting to get them to look, that's a created identity. It's not what you really are, in a sense. But they, they, people, you know, tend to believe that, that the, these, these negative perceptions is what they really are. And so you, 
encouraging them to change, just shift from, you know, to clinging to these identities and believing them to observing them. And if you can get somebody to do that, <laughs> then they can, you know, whatever problems they do have, they, they, their relationship to it changes from just being a helpless victim of, of their habits to being using wisdom to resolve and let go of the very things that make them suffer. And so it's like learning to trust this, this awareness. I, I used to tell them, trust this awareness. And, uh, and I used to think, you know, like, like with Ajahn Chah, I trusted him more than myself in the beginning. You know, he's the wise master. I'm the neurotic disciple. He knows but I don't. So I want him to tell me and because um, that's how it seemed at the time, you know, I, he seemed wise and I didn't. I, and I didn't, I didn't see myself as wise at all. So I, you know, I, I trusted his view of me and uh, and he saw that and so he'd always say, you know, you know, he always pointed out, you know, how should I know? You, you're the one that, that should know what's going on. And, you know, so he, you know, he, he's always, when I would kind of tell me what to do next kind of thing, he'd get me to look at, at uh, this, this kind of faith in him, not as something to, to annihilate or get rid of, but to see the, that it, it's what I create. And, and through that, you, you begin to realize that it's not about finding somebody to tell you what to do or a wise teacher that, that knows exactly what you're thinking, but it's learning to trust this intuitive awareness ability we all have. Because like the, the self tends to doubt, you know, I'm not good enough. And you think, well, I've done some terrible things in the past. And, and then you might think, oh, Ajahn Sumedho, he's, he's not like me. <laughs> uh, and, and so you, these are all creations in your mind. And, that, and then the awareness of those creations is enough. They are what they are. You know, it's not, not to say you shouldn't have them, but it's putting them in a, in, a, in, a, in a context of an object rather than become that what you're attached to. You don't, you know, it's a becoming. If you don't do this, then you become what you're thinking, become what you're feeling. 